Father, I cannot work it all out. I cannot always understand everything you're doing, but I know this, that you are my God, that I trust you, my life is yours, and I am so grateful that you put your hand upon me, that you transformed me, that you enabled me to come to know you and walk with you, and I trust you. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Romans chapter 4, and if you would turn with me please to Romans chapter 4, we're reading from verses 18 to 25, and you'll find it on page 1752 of the church Bible, page 1752, Romans chapter 4. While you're turning up Romans chapter 4, let me give one additional announcement uh, this morning that at this service next Sunday morning, we will have a group of between 10 and 12 delegates from the People's Republic of China, and these will be mission uh, and ministry leaders who are joining us for the day. We will be giving them a tour of our facilities and then taking them to lunch afterwards. But let me encourage you, please, with all of the passion I can to be here next Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, bring a friend and I think that a very full sanctuary would go a long way to give a warm welcome to our colleagues from China. So please, if you can, make sure that's on your schedule and, and come and join us next Sunday morning. It should be an exciting morning. Mayor Knox White from Greenville will be joining us as well to represent the city. Romans chapter 4, verse 18. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And so became the father of many nations. Just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. In Jesus' name we pray, asking that he will bless to us this reading of his word. About 10 years ago, I was in a bookstore. I may have told you this story, so please forgive me, but it seemed appropriate this morning. And I picked up a book and started reading it. And in fact, I didn't even open the book. I just picked it up, turned it over, read the back page, and on the basis of what it said on the back, I then purchased the book. Now, I rarely do that because being Scottish, I want to know, am I getting value for my money? 
I want to look through each chapter heading and see who the author was and does it really tell me what I need. But this was a blessed exception because the story on the back reads like this. A panda walks into a cafe. He orders a sandwich. He eats it, then draws a gun and fires two shots in the air. Why? asked the confused waiter as the panda makes towards the exit. The panda produces a badly punctuated wildlife manual and throws it to the waiter. I'm a panda, he says. Look it up. The waiter turns to the relevant entry and sure enough, he finds an explanation. Panda, large black and white bear-like mammal native to China, eats, shoots and leaves. Once again, a number of you missed it, but eventually you will get it. I can see husbands nudging wives at the moment and whispering to one another, but you'll get it. Or likewise, you may be under the duvet this evening just dozing off, and then it will come, but it's there. The author inside says these words as well. She says, proper punctuation is both the sign and cause of clear thinking. And that's my prayer for us this morning as a congregation of the people of God, that as we come to Romans chapter 4, we will begin to appreciate at a very new level some of the fundamentals of our faith that Paul is going to great lens to make clear to us. Six or seven weeks ago, on the first Sunday in January, we began a new series of studies in the book of Romans. And this morning, I want to take at least the first part of our time together to give you a brief summary of Romans 1 to 3. And then we'll focus for the last part of our study on verses 18 to the end of the chapter. And I'm doing that for two reasons. It is always a healthy process when you're in the midst of studying something for the first time to stop around the halfway mark take a breath, look back over all that's been said, and then move on. And that's what I want to do in the first part of our study this morning. Some of you may well be saying, Richard, I'm so grateful for that because I've enjoyed Romans 1 to 3, but there has been so much of it, Sunday by Sunday by Sunday. I've only ever been able to take one thought and take it away and apply it to my life that week. And if you have been able to do that, well done. Because on a Sunday, that's all I ask as a pastor. If one thing from the passage of Scripture catches your attention, stirs your imagination, enables you to see something with clarity for the first time, and you're able to apply it to your life, that's to be encouraged. But having spent these Sundays in Romans, there is indeed a lot to take in. So let me see if I can try and summarize what Paul has been saying in chapters 1 to 3. And I'd like to do it, if I may, with an illustration. I often find that when I'm studying or preparing or writing, that if I can have a mental image of the lesson I'm seeking to learn in my mind, that makes a world of a difference. It takes me out of the the complexity of word upon word upon word, but if I can get an illustration, that often brings clarity to my thinking, and that's where I want to go this morning. 
the popular understanding of the gospel is this, that humanity is lost at sea. The waves are coming up to our neck, and we're almost drowning. But if we work hard enough, if we're able to keep our head above water, we'll survive. Just keep going. Persevere. That will be enough. And then God comes in a spiritual lifeboat. He throws out hundreds, if not thousands, of life belts. And seeing the life belt, we swim towards the life belt, put it on, and we are then saved. God does his part, we do our part, we get to know him, and we are saved. That's the popular understanding of the gospel. And I often hear, if not that illustration, something similar. Many of you have heard me use that illustration in the past. But the difficulty with the illustration is this. It's not what the scripture teaches. Let me explain. When we started this morning, I said clarity is crucial when it comes to understanding our faith. So let me try to be clear. Having given you one illustration, let me teach you what the Scripture says. Because although the illustration may be helpful, it's not enough. Because throughout the Scriptures, this is what's taught. Jesus, on one occasion, in fact, several times he says it, particularly to the Pharisees, he would speak to the Pharisees and he would say to them with all of the sincerity he can, woe to you blind Pharisees. And his point was this, that when sin impacts a life, it is so insidious, so deceptive, it makes us spiritually blind. And that's the point Jesus is making. He's saying, what are you blind Pharisees? You're spiritually blind. You're not seeing God for who he truly is, but all too often you see him in your own image. So that's the first point. What are you blind Pharisees? Luke's gospel in chapter 16 and 17, three times he uses parables of being lost. And on one occasion, he not just simply uses a parable, but he says these words, I have come to seek and save those who are lost. And of course, he means spiritually speaking. So if you are blind, spiritually speaking, and lost, spiritually speaking, Romans chapters 1 to 3 and throughout the book of Romans and elsewhere, both in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, is summarized in Paul's phrase of Ephesians chapter 2 when he says this, you once were dead in trespasses and sin, but now you are alive in Christ. So let me be clear. If you are blind and lost and dead in sin, spiritually speaking, you are utterly incapable of swimming towards any life belt because you are at the bottom of the ocean. You are on the sea bed dead. Do you get the point? that the illustration is not biblical enough. It kind of hints at what the Scripture is saying, but it's not enough 
Because if you're lost and blind and dead, you are utterly incapable of swimming towards a life belt. And the popular image of God does his part. We do our part by expressing faith is not an accurate reflection of the Scriptures. So let me take the illustration a step further. If humanity is lost and blind and dead on the seabed, when God comes in his spiritual lifeboat, he doesn't throw out life belts, but he does what? He dives into the storm and the waves and he swims to the bottom. He gathers us up in his arms. He makes his way to the surface. He swims back to the boat with us in tow. He lifts us onto the boat and then he resuscitates us by doing what? Breathing new life into us. And then we become spiritually alive. That's why Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life to the full because you once were spiritually dead. And it's when he breathes life into us, then and only then can we express faith and trust and confidence in him. And that's what Paul has been saying in chapters 1 to 3. You have no righteousness. No one is good, for all have sinned. But salvation comes from God alone. It is a supernatural miracle. It is a work of God alone. And Paul wonderfully summarizes that in Ephesians 2.8. You are saved by grace through faith. This not of yourself. It is a gift from God. And so when an individual begins to understand who he is in all of his wonder and love and grace and he touches us and transforms us and gives us a new heart and a new soul, our only response is to bow in adoration and worship and say, Father, thank you for your love and goodness towards us. And that is the point you come to saving faith. And please remember this. In chapters 1 to 3, Paul has been using that other phrase called the law. And if you are saying, Richard, quite honestly, I've struggled with what Paul's been meaning these last few Sundays when he uses the phrase the law, summarize it for me. Help, give, it, give me a definition here so I can get it. On 77 occasions throughout the book of Romans, Paul talks about the law. And what he's saying is this. He is saying that when you read the word law, think of religious observance. In other words, Old Testament feasts and festivals, animal sacrifices, and so on and so forth. And what Paul has been saying, quite naturally and rightly, is this, that the law, religious observation, is not enough to bring you into a living relationship with God, because these are peripheral things. And that's what he's been saying over these last three chapters. He's saying, observing religious things is good, it's not enough. Real, genuine, authentic, credible faith is about a relationship. It's not about feast days and holidays, but it's about a relationship with the living God. 
Because people will say to me regularly, Richard, you cannot show me God. There is no empirical evidence. You can't point to him. You can't hold him up. You can't say, here he is. But is sight enough? No, there is more because the police officer looks around and he says, what does the evidence point towards? I have never yet met an adult who will say, I have come to faith in the tooth fairy. But I know hundreds and thousands who have said, I have come to faith in the living God because they have trusted him. He has impacted their lives. He's forgiven their sins. He's transformed their hearts. And they are a different person. And you have to dismiss all of that evidence if you're going to suggest otherwise. And that's the point Paul is making. Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. So having said all of that, we come to verse 18. And what do we read? Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations just as, that ha just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. And without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Now let me fill you in in a little of the rest of the story that's found in the book of Genesis. Abraham to his utter surprise and delight and deep shock profoundly was affected when he discovered that God was real. And he had that deep internal conviction of the presence and purposes of God. And God said to him, Abraham, I will enter into a covenant relationship with you and you will belong to me from this day forward, and your offspring will be my people, and I will be your God, and you will be mine, and I will take you by the hand and lead you and guide you day after day. I will protect you and forgive you and strengthen you and enable you and sustain you in your faith, and together we will grow more and more and more in love as the years go by. And Abraham, I will give you a son. And your son will be a blessing to countless millions over the centuries to come. And he will have children and they will have children. And all across the world, you will discover people of faith and they will belong to me and I will be their God. And I imagine Abraham was thrilled skinny. He was just so excited, couldn't wait to see what God would do next as he believed what God had said was strengthened in his faith. But there was a problem. And here's the problem. Abraham and Sarah were way beyond their child-rearing days. Way beyond it. Not just a little. Way beyond what does the passage say? Look at it again. Verse 19. Excuse me, verse 18. Against all hope, 
So what does Paul mean? Against all hope of what? Against all hope of being capable of producing a child. Against all hope of even delivering a child. Abraham in hope believed. And then in verse 19, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was incapable. Notice what he's saying. He's not saying that Abraham simply threw out his intellect and said, it doesn't really matter, I will have some kind of blind faith, believing in something I know couldn't possibly happen. He's doing the opposite, the very opposite. Against all hope, Abraham believed. Now, what do we mean believed? It's this, profound trust. Father, I cannot work it all out. I cannot always understand everything you're doing, but I know this, that you are my God, that I trust you, my life is yours, and I am so grateful that you put your hand upon me, that you transformed me, that you enabled me to come to know you and walk with you, and I trust you. That's what faith is, profound trust. And that's the point that Paul is making. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Jump down to verse 21, or sorry, verse 20. He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God being fully persuaded that God had power to do whatever he promised. Now, you may be here this morning and saying, Richard, I've got it. I understand what you're saying. But this morning, if I have one need, it is, like Abraham, to be strengthened in my faith 2013 was not a good year for me. It seemed to go from one thing after another after another. You may have gone through a difficult relationship with a friend or a family member and the thing ruptured and fell apart and you long that it would be put back together. You may have become unemployed last year and you're still struggling to find work. You may have lost a parent or a child. You may have tension in your marriage. You may have difficulties in school. And you're saying, Richard, honestly, I've prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, and I seem to be getting nowhere. Where is God in the midst of all of this? What on earth is happening to me? Against all hope, Abraham believed. And you may be thinking, Richard, is that all you've got for me this morning? Just keep believing. Is is that it? Is that all you've got to say? Just keep doing what you're doing. You'll be fine. Is that it? From the moment that God first impacted the life of Abraham and brought him to himself, it was 14 years from that point till the birth of the son God had given him. Can you imagine the day after God had impacted the life of Abraham and Abraham realized for the first time that by the grace of God he had come to know him 
and that the love of God has transformed his heart. And can you imagine him talking to Sarah and saying, it's unbelievable. God will give us a child. And Sarah thinks, that's impossible. It just, that's never going to happen. And as the months go by, and the years go by, and Sarah is looking at him over her glasses and saying, okay, Abraham, where is he now? And being strengthened in his faith, Abraham believed. Grieving the death of a parent or a child, in faith, Abraham believed. All of your hopes and dreams coming, crashing down around you, in hope, Abraham believed, being strengthened in his faith, utterly believing that God could do what he promised. And this morning he promises to bring you to a saving faith if you will trust him, hold on to him, put your trust and belief in him, leave it with him, trust him. That's the point. That's the point of faith. Not in something we know not to be true, but in one who came to die for our sins, to cleanse us and change us and transform us and bring, him to us, bring ourselves to Him. And perhaps we find ourselves in this difficulty that we are so focused on the challenges before us we are not looking inward to see the person he is making us. That's the point. And if you've got your Bible open, let me close with these words as we move to chapter 5. And look at chapter 5, verse 3. And Paul writes, Not only so, but we also rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And that's where we'll pick up our study next Sunday morning, right there. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. And as you leave this morning, you can put your hand on your heart and say this, that if he came into this world for me, if Christ died for me, if he was raised from the dead for me, I can trust him profoundly, deeply, infinitely. I belong to him and regardless of what the future holds, regardless of today's disappointments, the hurts, the pains, the difficulties, regardless of the unanswered prayer, he holds me in the palm of his hand and will never let me go. And against all hope, they believe. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this incredible passage of Scripture. And we understand and are fully persuaded, like Paul, that God has power to do all that he has promised. And he has promised to hold us, to never leave us or forsake us. And so we leave this morning bringing glory and honor and adoration and worship to you understanding and fully recognizing that against all hope, 
we believe. Father, bless us this day. Take us into this new week and enable us, please, to walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Whatever you're facing, First Presbyterian Church would like to pray for you this week. Please leave your name and prayer request by calling 864-672-1838 or receive prayer in person. Details about this service are listed on your screen. To purchase a DVD of today's message, please send a check or money order for $10 to First Presbyterian Church and include today's program number. For more information, call 864-672-1846 or visit our website at firstpresgreenville.org.